I'm Drew Breezy, and this is the Comm Center, the show that dissects 911 calls, emergency response video, and audio by two guys who have done both jobs. Coming up, we're going to cover the overall gravity of the incident in Burnsville, Minnesota, and we have our fire medic, Lieutenant Chief Keefe, here with us with his insight, wisdom, and to grieve with us a little bit. John has a hard-hitting piece of his undercover investigation into the seedy underworld of square dancing. And we're going to ask the question we should all be asking, what would Abby do? And we're going to treat this episode with the reverence it deserves. All that and what it means for your weekend on the Comp Center. City council members have announced their plan to disband the Minneapolis Police Department. We're calling for defunding the police. Shootings in New York City have more than doubled this year. Wake Up America is the comm center with Drew Breezy. It's a TV show on the internet about two best friends who investigate a new Sirius XM radio channel causing seizures and outbursts of violence across the country only to identify the strange sounds as contemporary country music. By the way, I promise that I did not coordinate that with Drew when he said something about square dancing a minute ago. So that's just pure synergy in action. This is the show where we break down 911 stuff and talk cop response. It's also the show that's the home for discourse without discord. Although, you know, sometimes it's unavoidable. Uh, but uh, Drew, it's been a hell of a week. I mean, I think I'm feeling a little bit of what you're feeling. We were talking before the show that... Uh, there's some rancor and there's some animus and uh, and uh, to be honest with you, I guess speaking to the audience, uh, there's a little bit of depression. Before I throw it over to you, I, I want to just clarify what I mean by that. I do a bunch of shows. I'm all over the place, as some of you know. Uh, like I do uh, this show, and I do research for news topics. And uh, you know, last week we were talking about uh, how Canada wants to restrict forensic science because it's too racist and um you know I, I researched things to talk about in the show and uh i was googling just 911 dispatchers in the news and i'm going down the list and it says you know 911 dispatcher indicted for possession of child pornography 911 dispatcher refuses to send help to old lady in carjacking 911 dispatcher x y and z and then so for hard time my correctional officer podcast it's like uh, even worse because correctional officers also have a bad reputation in the media anyway. Correctional officers smuggling in brick of heroin, correctional officers sleeping with inmate, correctional officer aids at a bets and an escape. And it's depressing to me because like, I, I feel like I'm the lone voice, even though I'm on a bunch of these shows where I'm trying to say what is the truth of, of our profession and the nobility of it. And, uh, there's so much over overwhelming noise from the mainstream media, and admittedly, these bad cases. And I, I guess um, I'm feeling a little. Uh, I feel like a little, I'm a little overwhelmed. Like I'm screaming into an empty pit about the good things that 911 dispatchers, police officers, correctional officers do. But there's so much negativity out there. It feels like it's like ten to one, and it's not just that. Like we're we're all trying to say police officers, 911 dispatchers, correctional officers, like we we walk a, a noble life. And it's not enough to be assailed by the media for uh what we do or for the mistakes of the people who are in our profession. 
but we're also just under attack from the forces of evil in the world. Uh, you'll hear a hard time coming out on Friday that I, I end up like screaming and like swiping things off of my desk. And I'm still angry about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm upset about what's going on in Burnsville. Some of you know that I live in the center of the continent. So Burnsville is not terribly far away. In fact, I was there last week. I'm not saying I have a special connection to the case other than like I've been to Burnsville. Like I, I, it's a real place to me. And so when, you know, police officers are being killed there, it just, uh, it's, it's not, it's not abstract. And so you kind of feel like you're, you're in it from all sides. Drew, is that how you feel? I mean, our feelings don't um, have to be the same. You're allowed to feel differently. It's just, it's sort of overwhelming at times how much negativity is out there. We're all, uh, we're all allowed to have our own opinions because we're all adults. And uh, we all have our own little corner of the internet because uh, nobody has a monopoly on uh, police videos, though some may think they do. Uh, and when you and I discussed doing this uh you know, it, it was a campy idea, the comm center, you know, it was about uh, bringing light to very dark rooms across America called comm centers, communication centers where dispatchers inhabit and do some very uh, traumatic work. And uh, they're not highlighted as, as much as they should be. And that was kind of what, what, what the genesis of the show. But it's always kind of been my campaign or my crusade since I retired, I, I've, uh, I think that there is not only enough negativity in the world, your example of Google demonstrates exactly where my, my heart was when I was working and where my passion lies now. When you Google police officer, you get 30 articles uh, and you know, today's an exception obviously because a very significant thing happened. And, and by the way, I, I just want to say, um, police officer Paul Elmstrand, firefighter paramedic Adam Finseth, and officer Matthew Rouge and their families are, uh, this is devastating. Like, and I know this rocks communication centers. I, I know how, I, I know how people react to situations like that, particularly where these people worked. Uh, and, 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 and by the way, like, I don't want to get too far off topic, but we lost a firefighter in um, Loudoun County, Virginia. He, I, th I think he was a volunteer firefighter. We'll, we'll talk to Chief Keefe. But, but where I'm going with this, John, is that when you Google, you know, firefighter, paramedic, or you Google, just like you're saying, you're, the search engine optimization is, to, is that of guy smuggles heroin into jail, uh, you know, Corrections officer rapes inmate. Dispatcher uh, refuses to send car uh, police car to carjacking, and that's what surfaces to the top. Out okay, outrage so, powers the algorithm. Yeah, it's click clickbaitish right. uh, mentality and outrage is what powers. It's what powers our media. And and it's it, it is it's it's you know if it bleeds it leads. So it, so my point is that the important things are the three names that I just read. That that's what's important because we're losing people. But I also have held that we're losing people because when you Google, everything negative pops up. When you turn on CNN, 
it's nothing but bad things about officers. Obviously, this is just outside of Minneapolis, so there's been some pretty serious anti-police rhetoric and sentiment for quite a while. And as we progress through life, we come to find out that was based on a lie and and a, a, a proven lie. Now, everybody can have their opinions on whether, you know, Derek Chauvin should be in prison or not. This isn't about Derek Chauvin. This isn't about George Floyd. It is about people perpetuating bad things about law enforcement that aren't necessarily true and that one person does not represent the entire community of law enforcement. And I had an incident on social media where, and I can't believe I'm having to even discuss this. I'm not going to give you the guy's name. We'll just call, look, I'm trying to take the high road here. Uh, He just, he exhibited CNN-like behavior. Okay, so essentially what happened is I, I did a, a post uh, on social media that kind of talked about the acorn shooter. And I was a little pissed when I did it because people in our profession tend to pile on in these situations. And we're talking about cops here who are piling on another cop who resigned after the incident, by the way, and aren't telling the whole story about the acorn incident. There's a lot more to that story, like you know. And I there, we, there's we always a, there's time. always a lot more. And CNN right. is they're not going to tell you. One of my heroes always referred to them as the drive-by media. They they give you you know the five things that that make it outrageous to get you to pay attention to the upcoming Pfizer commercial, and then they they yeah. they move on to the next outrage. And it's why our whole society is perpetuated by outrage. You ever wonder why America's all out, outrageous and everyone has outrage? It's because of the media. It's because of the algorithm. It's powered by outrage. Okay, so that's your... Thank you. And when cops engage in this behavior, when they pile on, when they, when they jump on, whether the guy was right or wrong, but when they pile on, like, that's why I keep, I continually say mental health in law enforcement is just a buzzword. It's, it's very serious for some, for some who are passionate about it or for some who are scarred by it. For others, it's like, it's just a buzzword or it's a bunch of hooey or it's a bunch of bullshit. And when you pile on the acorn guy, what you're telling America is I'm a cop and that guy is a fucking idiot. And they're all saying, yep, we know because all we had to do is Google to find out you're an idiot. Thank you for verifying that for us. Yeah. Thank you for perpetuating that lie. And when I, as a seasoned retired you can look on my LinkedIn to find out what I've done in my career. Uh, d- deputy sheriff slash retired as a lieutenant. Uh, I resent that. I resent when you pile on somebody just in the name of clicks and likes because you need to feed your own ego because you're, you're, you have to hide behind your social media persona and you think that this is going to get you some kind of recognition. Like, I, I'm in it for the families of the three we just talked about. It. And, and I'm in it, I'm in this for the advocacy of the 11 that were shot in the past four days, three that were murdered. Um, and, and, and I'll tell you what's not talked about, at least four suicides in that time frame. 
maybe not in three days, maybe in seven days. And the suicides are being driven by these social pressures of people sharing the acorn meme. And then even if it's somebody in your family that like, hey, l- let me let me look at Uncle Ben's page and see what he says about this. Like, he's a cop and Uncle Ben is posting stupid memes that just degrade this ac- this acorn cop, which is such a fucking irrelevant. I, I mean, it, it is. I, I understand that there's significance because there was a handcuffed guy in the back seat and all this other stuff. It's a very serious thing. The guy wasn't exonerated. I've said that for minute one. Of course, that got that got twisted and reported that I think that he should have been exonerated. Who cares? Like the the easiest thing for some of these guys to do. Like, I, I, I'm not going to name names, but sometimes you just need to let them talk. And and people, you know, their followers are still going to follow. Their their followers attacked me. Of course, I got blocked. I think my uh, my uh, Instagram account has been reported for spam, so I can't comment. On, like I tried to comment on Clay Higgins. Um, post last night that was kind of paying homage to the thin blue line and, and now deleted right away. I mean, I got the screen recording for that. It, it, boo-hoo. I mean, uh, the point is I'm I'm an adult. Like, <laughs> if you really feel you need to attack me because I have an opinion where I don't think we should be piling on uh, other cops, whether they're right or wrong, because it's just feeding the beast it's 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 the what what you're posting is the same thing that CNN, that Black Lives Matter is posting, that uh, that that DAs are are using as fuel to to throw us in jail to indict us because we're loose, half cocked, loose cannons that don't deserve a fair trial. We we deserve revenge. And and when I call you out on that and your reaction is to attack me and have your legion of whatever attack me, it says more about you than it does me. Like I'm very, you know, I've I've had very civil discussions with a lot of people who came to my defense. By the way, thank you for anybody who came to my defense on that guy's page. I know that you made some posts, and I know that he specifically deleted your comments before he blocked you or blocked me which is something else CNN does. They just censor uh, because they don't want the truth to come out or they don't want anybody defending the good guy. Um, look, nobody owns the internet. I, I think uh, I think we as cops could be doing something a lot more productive with it. I, I am not adult, I, a D-O-L-T, dolt. I get the joke. I see the humor. And I understand that we do stupid things. There's a line, though, and I think we need to read the fucking room every once in a while. I think we need to understand that when cops are dying left and right, it's probably not the time to pour fuel on the fire, especially this guy, a West Point grad who obviously is just not some half-cocked rookie who, who, uh, who slipped through the cracks in the, in the psych eval. You know, this is an honorable man. He served his, his country, he served his community, and he made a huge mistake that I guarantee he wishes he could take back. But he heard what he thought was suppressed gunfire, he felt what he felt was a bullet on his shoulder, and his legs went numb, and he freaked out from there. 
And I, I can't say that I wouldn't do the same thing. You know why, John? Because I wasn't fucking there. I can't say I wouldn't do the same thing. I would never judge somebody like that. And he's paid the price, and now his entire family is paying the price. You're, you're making his entire family pay for his sins, which really aren't deep sins, in my opinion. You know, if you're going to call them sins, I think that's a perfect way to look at it uh, because let he who is without sin throw the first acorn. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm the outsider here, right? I'm not a police officer, but I, I can tell you that when we have Evaldi, when we have that one officer in Tennessee who was drawing all kinds of negative attention for her relations in her department, like, I, like we said, we got CNN piling on you. We got the world, you know, taking out guns and pointing it at our police officers. And then our reactions to things like this are when police officers uh, argue with each other and fight each other. It's a, it, you guys, it's a bad, it's a bad look. And not only that, but like, it's, I'm, it's, it's, it, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here to like, no, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm I know. Not, not here to go, throw, throw go on. On. I, but the, but the acorn thing, right? Okay. So whether you're a police officer in uh, Columbus or Tampa Bay, uh, wherever you are, um, something will happen tomorrow where you'll be involved and your firearm will be drawn and discharged. And uh, you never know the circumstances that you'll be in. And all of a sudden, CNN's playing a side-by-side with uh, your body cam footage and the acorn cop. You have no idea what's coming tomorrow. So before you open your mouth and try to get eat this guy alive for all his clicks and likes. You have no idea the situation you're going to be in tomorrow. And you would hope that a police officer would have the self-awareness to realize, holy shit, there but for the grace of God go I, because you just yeah. have no idea what's coming tomorrow. I don't know how police officers do your job. I don't know how you, how you just decide, I'm going to face the next eight hours. I'm going to face the next 12 hours. I'm going to try to do my job to the best of my ability without winding up on CNN. But something is going to happen eventually to you or to the agency next door where you are going to look just like this. And how will you want to be treated when you're on the other side? You know, um, I just I just made a biblical allusion, but how how will you want to how how would you want to be treated? Treat people the way you want to be treated. Now you can't put yourself in that position because I guess you wouldn't respond that way if an acorn uh, fell and you and you thought that there was gunfire involved. But just just have a little bit of empathy for like how how would I feel if like I did the stupidest thing possible and everyone all over the world uh, in our news media is uh, using it again to sell Pfizer commercials and whatever else and and everyone who just walked the thin blue line with me yesterday is now shitting on me. Uh, the best the, and if you can't find any sympathy in your heart for the guy, just leave it alone because like I said, you never know where you're going to be tomorrow. It's bad enough that every episode we do, at least somebody's going to comment somewhere that we're just either cop-splaining or, or making excuses. We're not allowed to explain anything. It, it, we're always assumed to be covering for each other. And, and I've said that. I don't even remember where I said it. But, you know, if a plane crashes, God forbid, they go to the pilot. They go to the retired pilot and they ask him, what do you think happened? What went through the pilot's mind? And everybody writes it down and reports it as gospel. But when a police shooting happens and, and you have a seasoned veteran, somebody who's de- who has investigative experience, somebody who's written or approved a million use of force uh, investigations, 
all you get from the public is you're lying. You're covering for him. He, he, he has no excuses. And you, you need to quit making excuses for him. I'm not. I'm giving it context because it deserves context. You, you can't jump from guy started as a cop, guy started shooting at handcuffed people without something in the, in between. And by the way, the memes, th- there was an acorn meme that uh, involved the Tennessee officer. So, so now they've combined to, you, you know, like they're just making we us just throw look like the, clowns. Let's throw in the Uvalde cop who uh, st- waited outside the door while his child was inside being murdered. Like right. there, there's Might one, well. there's one more it, it, cop that you can tear down who's already destroyed. So why don't, why don't yeah. you just go ahead and get your clicks and your likes out of destroying someone else who, uh, <laughs> whose life is shattered. It's what I've been saying the, all along these about officers Uvalde, were mentioning their lives are, are shattered. This acorn cop, you know, he's. He's going to like change his name, man, to, to, to try to get a job driving a truck, you know? And it's, it, it, it's so even and I, I'm so sorry for interrupting you. I do that. I have a, a horrible habit of doing that. It's okay. You're passionate, you, but, Drew. It's all right. But if, <laughs> if, 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 if this is, uh, I, I forgot what I was going to say anyway. I, I blew it for you and I just blew it's it. It's all right. You. It's all right. Let's. Okay. So. So here's this, here's this notion, and I'm going to interrupt you again to tell it. Um, (laughs) In the big scheme of things I mentioned in the intro, you know, Abby, you and I both look up to Abby Ellsworth. She's, she has her own podcast on being a police officer and she's a civilian who is seeking the truth. She's just seeking what, what, where our temperament or, or what, you know, like, are you making excuses for these guys or is this legit or what? Because the civilians don't care. She does. She wants to know the truth. She wants to be able to have the conversation at her dinner party. So we joking, or I jokingly said, what would Abby do? Well, I, I'm going to tell you what, uh, what I did on Sunday, uh, even though it, it, it did take a, a chunk of my Saturday. Uh, I'm not deeply religious, John. You know this. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm not a regular church attendee. Uh, I can be at times, though. So I, I will tell you uh, flat out, looking into this monitor, I prayed for that guy. Uh, and by that guy, I mean, Ben, I mean the guy that fucking tore my character and you know, I'm cussing in the middle of talking about praying, but I, that guy that tore my character apart, that got all of his followers to follow him without any verification. Apparently they don't have Google. Um, I pray for all of them, but I, I, I also say a prayer for that officer that fired because he felt like he had been shot yeah. when he was going to a car to search for an unaccounted for suppressed uh, firearm with a suppressor that he knew he had. Uh, I pray for the families of like, I, it's unfathomable. My wife is a cop. It's unfathomable for her to not come home. It's un. what, what do I tell? Oh, there's an incident I could tell you that I really, what do I tell her kids or what, do, what, what does their birth father tell them that's not going to fuck them up for the rest of their lives if, God forbid, somebody took her? Or, or you know, their, their birth father is also a police officer. And if, God forbid, something happened to him, like, what do we tell those kids? You're, you're, you're messing with, you're playing with fire. You're messing with human lives here whether it's the acorn shooter or the three that just were murdered, 
or the three that were murdered last week that we glossed over that aren't the focus of everybody's memes, the acorn is. So uh, I just want to say, you know, fuck you and fuck your acorn. <laughs> Here's uh, my counterpoint to that. Pray for your enemies, love your enemies. And uh, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light, Drew. You got to remember that uh, vindication is always at hand. So if you feel wronged or if you feel like the truth has been wrong, just remember it's going to come out. And you've got to find a way to make some peace with that and, uh, and, and deal with um, your lack of control over the situation. It's something that like 911 dispatchers like have to do every day is our, our lack of control it over is. things. It is uh, zero control. And, 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 and that weighs heavily, heavily on their trauma. Like that, that weighs heavily on their traumatic. I do have you know, a, the, an article that we'll get to near the end, end of the episode that uh, was written by a 911 dispatcher in response to a police officer killed almost 10 years ago, so don't let me not read that. But we do have a okay. guest on the show. He's been patiently waiting back there for... Um, Our old buddy. I don't want to say an hour and a half, but it's been an hour and a half. <laughs> Kiefer, how are you doing? This is uh, Lieutenant Jason Kiefer. We call him Chief Kiefer, uh, Cincinnati Fire Department. You you know that Jason and I team up weekly elsewhere on the internet but jason's an old uh friend and fan of the show uh we have uh met in real life in person uh he and i have uh had our rowdy occasions together just to tell a fun story to like you know pull this airplane up out of its uh descent into the mountaintops uh one time keith and i were were hanging out at, at a bar and uh i wasn't drunk but uh uh, a sharpie came out. We were doing autographs for the podcast, and uh, I, I wrote on I wrote on his bare chest uh, morphine allergy. So, if anything happens to him on the way home, he would it's have still to, there. He would have to do jokes on him. It was a tattoo gun. It was a tattoo right. gun. Yeah, I don't know if you saw me plug in the sharpie, Jason, but you were pretty well. <laughs> I've never <laughs> never heard a sharpie make that sound before, but no. I, I should have known better. But it was all the Miller lights. Uh, Keith, Keith is also thirty-three uh, percent of the one more, and I'm out of here podcast. Just to uh, graciously uh, welcome him to the show and remind you where you can find him. They talk about all all manner of things over there. They're generally a more uplifting podcast than this episode today. After this episode, watch one more, and I'm out of here to feel better about life. Uh, Kiefer, uh, you are a firefighter paramedic. Did I get your title correct, or did I get your role in in society at first response correct? <laughs> Yeah, I've been a been a fire fireman paramedic for twenty three years, and uh, approaching approaching that retirement do you, do uh, you position mind, here. You know, hopefully, do you mind if I you know ask ask you how do fire departments respond to uh, line of duty deaths? I I think this is kind of a unique one in Burnsville where we have a, a SWAT paramedic being taken by gunfire i think most firefighters don't view the the end of their careers as going that way you probably have um dreams that are like uh you know uh footage from backdraft or something i, I know i don't know what your 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 worst nightmares are like but how, how does uh how does the firefighter paramedic res community respond to this because it's just it's such a unique situation for for one of you guys to be lost to gunfire and to be lost in a tactical situation and I guess just speak for your people, you know, that's, that's why you're here. Yeah. So I work, I work in a area outside of the city of Cincinnati proper, but, uh, you know, so we have a bunch of, you know, suburbs and that, you know, much like, you know, Burnsville, but 
we we went through like a real big time where we had a lot of SWAT medics guys were going and, and getting tactically trained. And that kind of went by the wayside a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but then as active school shooters started, you know, ramping up, you know, over, over the course you know, over the last, you know, bunch of years, you know, we're seeing that stuff more and more. So we have started with our active shooter type drills. You know, when we do our trainings, you know, we work hand in hand with law enforcement some departments go a little bit, you know, further in toward the threat into the, you know, the quote unquote hot zone. Some departments have a policy, oh, you're in a warm zone. But uh, our, our SWAT medics have, I don't want to say dwindled out completely, but we, we, did, we don't have as many now as we used to. So when I was reading this article, I mean, it was, it was intriguing to me that it was still something that they were pushing and they were doing. Um, I mean, when you go through... And I went through a piece of that training. So, I mean, but I was never, you know, a certified SWAT medic. But, I mean, going through some of it, I mean, you get that little taste of, of what these police officers are dealing with, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, we, you know, we bust balls, you know, cops and firemen, you know, all the time. You know, it's all, wait, wait, for, the, wait for the scene to be secure, wait for the scene to be clear, this and that. I mean, I don't want to be shot at. That's why I became a fireman. Now. Running into a burning building is stupid too. Don't get me wrong, but you know each has their you know their their threats with them. So I mean to see and and I didn't know we were I know we were talking before the show a little bit you know that this SWAT medic you know potentially was was saving you know a brother in blue. That's what we're there for. Mm-hmm. We're there to take care of each other, either on either side. I, I don't care what what badge you're wearing. We're all doing this. We're we're not doing it to get rich. We knew that going in. We're doing it to help people. And so to hear that piece, um, because, you know, in a couple articles that I had seen, I didn't see that part. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a scary world that we live in. It doesn't matter whether you're getting on a fire truck or whether you're checking in, you know, on, on your MDC (laughs) and your, in your cruiser, it's a scary world that we live in. And, and that's, I texted John. I said, I said, what the hell is wrong with the world today? That's a question. Obviously, none of us has an answer for. Uh, right. You know, it seems like we go through these things in in cycles. I'm very cynical about the news. I'm very cynical about how things work out. But it's just like, it just seems like uh, we're we're um, that we've just reached the point in the news cycle where it's time for officers to die. That's just how it f- feels because we keep going through cycles like these. You know, we go back to. 2016 and when all those officers in in Dallas were assassinated and it just seems like it seems like it's almost like on a like a 13 month cycle where we go through something terrible like this and can uh I, go ahead Drew. can I give a little insight into what you're saying go ahead think about think about what you're saying in 2016 think about what happened in 2020 and think about what's I know I, there's, there, there's definitely the political cycle where every four yeah, years it, something like that goes on but it <clears throat> It also just right. seems what like I'm, like almost a societal thing too. Go ahead. Well, that, what I'm saying is like they start ramping up at the end of 2023 and into 2024. All these negative stories about not just law enforcement officers, but about first responders, right? And it gives the 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 tone for society to it 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 it, it disrupts the air, it disrupts the oxygen, and it's all in the name of. Uh, votes. It's to be able to say, 
if you don't elect, you know, just to choose one side, if you don't elect Democrats, you'll never be protected from these uh, from these rogue police officers. And then the Republican Republicans can say, "Look how crazy it is out there! It's all law and order. We're being played. It's exploited." And, and just yeah. it's and, and 2016, you, 2020, 2024, it's the same cycle. You, you saw cycle. this in this one too. I when I, I was reading the article that I sent to you, Jason, you cynically saw this. Where so this guy had was in a in a house. He was barricaded. There were a bunch of kids in there. Okay, so whatever your political stripe, we're against that. Um, and only only if you're like someone who's really uh, radical and terrible human being are you going to be pro-police officers being killed. But there is a, a part in the article which was emphasized by the reporter, and I'm, I'm sure it was just a fact of the case, but they uh, they said that the suspect inside had a lot of guns and a lot of ammunition, which is just a, uh, a tactical aspect of the case. But it's thrown in there for what reason? It's thrown in there to activate the gun control folks. It's thrown in there to activate the people who think um, that if only we somehow restricted ammunition or if we restricted guns, that somehow we could prevent these things. And it's designed to uh, to give us, us a platform for liberal politicians who are going to exploit this. So you're right, Drew. I mean, I see that every single time. There's no, you know, don't never let a crisis go to waste. And this is one of those things will, that will absolutely be used uh, by the politicians in Minnesota for their own cases. And case in point, Senator Klobuchar, Governor Tim Waltz, these are some of the most anti-police people in the world. You, you, can't, you cannot ignore that this is in Minnesota. You cannot ignore that this is in a suburb of Minneapolis where four years ago, the politicians who are saying our hearts are with you, we're grieving with the people of Burnsville, uh, four years ago would have just as just as well have said, let's let's uh, abolish the Burnsville Police Department if they thought that they could have won an election in, in so doing. Minnesota is one of the most dangerously and wildly left and liberal places out there in the world. And I don't I don't say that to be political or to change anyone's mind, but I just want to to brace you for how a situation in which two police officers, two fathers, and this uh, firefighter, paramedic, and, and then I don't know that they're all fathers, but they're all family men. They all have people that love them. They're all human beings. That they're going to be struck down and their names are going to be forgotten. And the Burnsville incident will carry on for a year or two years or however long it has to carry on for as a tool for someone else's continued political power. And I just want to say, we're not doing that here. We want to talk about these police officers and this paramedic that were killed because regardless of where it happens, these are human beings. And uh, we, we kicked off the whole show with saying, like, this is how media uses and abuses police officers. But, you know, let's talk about this. This was uh, a domestic violence call. And our man barricaded with family members, including seven children aged 2 to 15 years old, um, they were, they negotiated with the subject. They were out there at 2 AM. Somehow this escalated into gunfire, which I'll tell you as a negotiator, uh, there's probably a, a, a negotiator on a SWAT team somewhere, uh, that feels like this is his fault because somehow negotiations broke down. He was talking to this guy at one point and it ended with, uh, his coworkers being killed. Let's talk about the negotiator who had to deal with that. Let's talk about what it's like for 911 dispatchers to lose an officer in the line of duty. I, I wish I could say that I had a guest who could come on here and talk we about tried. these things. 
Uh, we, we tried, tried. but it, it's short. It's short notice, right? Like I didn't. Yeah, it's very we, short. Notice. I didn't get to plan yeah. this out, you know, uh, weeks in advance, because of course, that's well, just thank not God. The, I mean, yeah, like, it's not how the wor- world works. But police officer Paul Emstrad, just twenty-seven, <laughs> and Matthew Rouge, twenty-seven. Uh, they they lived half a life, and they they spent the half of life that they had preparing and dedicating themselves for a life of service. In one of, and I don't want to say this about Burnsville specifically, because Burnsville is a pretty good community, but in like one of the most more dangerous places in the United States, because again, just that that mentality is up there in uh, in Eastern Minnesota about how it is for police officers. One of these police officers, I couldn't help but notice, joined the force in 2020. He looked at the worst the policing has been since the Boston Police Department was first founded as the first police department on this continent. The worst time since then, it says, I want in. Do you have any idea how many people walked away from law enforcement this time? How many people were preparing to go into law enforcement? How many people were in school? How many people were in, in academies? And that footage of George Floyd and the burning of the third precinct drops down and they say, you know what? This is not for me. One of these guys said, I'm in because I care about my community. I care about doing a good job. I see an opportunity where I can step into one of the worst things going on in our country near the center of it. And I can get in and I can make a difference. They didn't run away from a dangerous situation in 2020. And they didn't run away from a dangerous situation in 2024. And as I said, Drew, a half a life, 27. And they're gone. And let's talk about Adam Finseth, 40. The firefighter and paramedic was killed. He's in a position in life where he could be doing other things at age 40 besides running towards the sound of gunfire. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 40. Like, I joke sometimes about why I don't want to be a police officer. I say that I got my cap, captain action phase over done with when I was a correctional officer in my 20s. This is somebody that, that wasn't looking towards the, the downward half of the end of their career with something like this either, but he didn't run away from danger either. And they're gone because... They've represented the best of what our we as first responders can be. Not people who shit on each other or this infighting or playing blame games, although I don't know if they're politics, I don't know their social media accounts. I know this is when the time came and the gunfire started. That guy was there. They ran towards it. You know, they 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 ran towards that danger to resolve it. I I'm sure because they were concerned about those kids in there. They cared about the suspect's kids more than the suspect did. Ultimately, the suspect, you know, took his own life, couldn't do us the favor of just doing that privately on his own time. He had to take three of our guys with him too. And I'm thinking about the 911 dispatchers in Burnsville because of what they have to go through. This is something that that no one ever talks about. Again, I have this article here, but it's like, 911 dispatchers get forgotten and 911 dispatchers are going to go through something when they're dealing with this. I cannot imagine what it is like to be sitting at the CAD. You computer-aided dispatch and you have a list of all of your officers and they're all assigned to this one incident that's located at this one place. And at some point, someone's going to call you and they're going to say, hey, these two officers are 10-7 and you type off-duty or unavailable or whatever <laughs> into your call for service and that's it you know you do this keystroke saying they're dead um they disappear i yeah and they're off your screen now 
never to return. Uh, and I can't imagine what you're going through. And, and not only that, but like, that's the end, right? Like, what are you going through as all that's happening? Uh, as you know that these guys are down, that you're trying to get more help. And this has to be so scary because you send SWAT paramedics, right? Like you feel like you're covered. You feel like you're doing everything. You've got the paramedics there. You've got the guys that are going to save your guys. And one of them's down too, you know? And so, yeah. so, so you just feel tremendously vulnerable because there's no one else that you can send that's going to make this situation okay. The, that's, uh, that's an incredibly poignant point. That's uh, somebody's on the radio when that happens, right? Yeah. Somebody's on the radio when they hear shots fired or, 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 or uh, and Jason, I want to talk, I want to ask you about the, the incident in, um, in Virginia, if you have any insight or whatever, but somebody dispatched that company or, or that truck or that battalion or whatever to, to an incident. And that weighs heavily. I, I can tell you from X amount of, exit interviews that I've done that one of the most um, heavy things that dispatchers experience in my experience, one of the most heavy things that dispatchers experience is that they feel like they're marching people into their death. And when people don't respond to them on the radio, they're, they're fearing the worst, but th there are people that are experiencing the worst because um, you know, there's a personal connection when you send somebody to their final call. Uh, you know, just it, it, it's, it, it just weighs on you in the sense that like, you know, Jason, I'm not even being facetious when I say like, I, I can see a dispatcher in uh, Loudoun County or that volunteer fire department, wherever it was outside of Loudoun County, thinking to themselves, man, they were just sitting around shooting the shit about 10 minutes ago. They're probably busting each other's balls. And then they show up to this explosion to go save people to run towards the fire in that case. And he's not coming back. I mean, th there were several that were injured from what I understand. And then one died. Uh, do you know, do you have any insight? I I'm very sorry to put you on the spot, but do you no, know what I'm talking about? No, no, no. And I, I had seen this. I, I was out of town this, this past weekend. So I wasn't yeah. really, really up on all the news that was happening, but uh, we were doing a uh, debaucherous behavior with the police and fire bike club that I'm involved in. So I've been hanging, I was, all weekend hanging out with police officers and firemen just having a good time blowing off steam because we all need to do that. But, uh, yeah, that this, this Trevor Brown, he was 40, 45 years old. I'm, and John was talking about it earlier. I, I'm 44. And when I go back to work on shift, I don't know, you know, where that, you know, when that bell goes off, where I'm going to be sent, but then to go to, you know, a propane leak, a 500 pound propane tank exploded. You don't know when that's going to happen, which is, you know, the scary part in itself. And, you know, with John talking earlier about the, you know, these guys lived half a life, you know, in Burnsville, you know, probably, and I'm assuming it's a lot like my state where you have to be 21 to, to become a full-time police officer. I think that's pretty standard. Um, so let's just say they got on when they were 21. They, they, they still, you know, the 27 year old only works six years in a career, you know, trying to get to that finish line. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, these guys get dispatched, you know, whether it's a police officer or, you know, this, this guy in Loudoun County, you have no idea. And I make it a point, and you guys have both met Jill, you know, my, uh, my significant other. 
great, great person, but I make it a point when I'm at the firehouse. Literally your better half. Yes, definitely the better half and a better looking half. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, I make it a point. We talk every night before I go to bed. If we are having some type of spat, we try to make sure that that is squashed before I go to bed or before she goes to bed. Because when I go to lay down at the firehouse at 3 a.m., that structure fire comes in, I could not be coming home that next morning. And not to be dramatic, but it's the reality of it. No, it's the absolute reality of it. So you don't want to have those those thoughts of, well, I should have said this. I should have said that. You know, it's we try to get it all out on the table. And if, if that issue is still, you know, arising that next morning, then we figure it out and fix it. But, I mean, that's the scary part. And I always make sure I tell her, I love you. Good night. See you in the morning. Well, think about this, uh, Jason. I mean, uh, as it relates to both fields, uh, guys have fights with their wives all the time uh, or husbands or however it's framed. And uh, that's where their head is sometimes on these calls. And, you know, like not to perseverate on, on what I started with, but who knows where a guy's head is when he's <laughs> approaching the backseat of a, of a car where a guy you don't, you assume is handcuffed, but, uh, and your windows are so tinted. And then all of a sudden you feel what you think is a gunshot uh, on your shoulder. I mean, like y- your head's not always in the ball game because you're a human being. Yeah. And, and we talked about it. You get that sympathetic response mm-hmm. that your body, I mean, the body is a very, very complex thing yeah. and why things happen when they happen. It's, you know, some of it's unexplained and then some of it, you know, there is physiology in there that, you know, that sympathetic response kicks in, whether it's, you know, your adrenaline dump or whatever. And so, yeah, it's very hard to sit there and our world is very good at playing armchair quarterback, whether it's on each other or civilians watching the news and getting that little piece. You know, you're not getting the whole totality of a, of a story. And, you know, you said earlier, read the, read the whole report on whatever it may be. You know, that not, the NIOSH report that's going to come out on the Loudoun County firemen, because that happens on every firefighter death. NIOSH comes in, they investigate, they're going to look at training records, all the gear inspections, you know, everything, you know, is, is, is unturned for this report. So until the report comes out on any of these incidents, pump the brakes, hold off. Yeah, you can have an opinion right now, but then guess what? Nine times out of 10, you're going to be made to look like a fool because there's shit that they don't put out right away and you don't know all of the information I can guarantee you. John, before I go to you, just, I I always just, what's burned in my head is like, you know, there's a place where uh, police funerals, and by the way, there are cops dying in off-duty car crashes, just like there are firefighters dying in off-duty car, you know what I mean? And, and we just had a really, really bad month with when it comes to that. There was another guy, I think, in Pennsylvania yesterday that died off duty. Um, but, you know, th- there's this huge church, uh, mega church, uh, I don't want to call it a mega church. This is a very large church over by where I live. And that's generally where they have the police funerals because it can hold a lot of people and uh, police, firefighters, first responders from all over the place show up there. And the thing that sticks out about me is 100% of the time I've been to a funeral there, I, I try not to miss them there's always a fire truck at the front with the huge american flag draped you you know like hanging 
Mm-hmm. There's always a tow truck as well, like a huge wrecker with a, with the big American flag too, because it's, it, I mean, you know, it kind of, they're almost like, you know, our second, second responder brethren, you know? <laughs> um, but um, it, it's it, in, in what's burned in my mind right now is when um, they were caravanning to the, uh, I, I don't know, to the medical examiner's or office or whatever. I think there was like three vans or three buses and they were on an interstate in Minnesota and they were about to go over an overpass. And it, it was just, it was a huge fire truck with a bunch of guys just standing on it and standing on the overpass. And, you know, it, just the morbidity of these three vans or buses or whatever passing under that overpass. And, like I, I've been there when we're loading the casket, you know, at the funeral or whatever, and you're trying to stand there at attention and not show emotion, and there's cameras everywhere, and you're just tears, fucking, just pouring out of your eyes, and then, and then there's always stuff that you just don't think of, just like John mentioned, the dispatcher, the families, the, you know, my heart just, my heart breaks, so. Um, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this part of it. Just it, it's, it's all about priorities in life and it's all about, you, you know, wh- what are you doing this for? What are you in this for? Yeah. John? I wanted to, uh, this is a little bit lengthy, but I think it's worth it, particularly since we don't have any voicemails this week, which is fine. Um, but this is uh, a, about a death of an officer. This comes from officer.com. This is written by Michelle Perrin. This was written or published on March 11th, 2014. And I say that to give it some context because when, you, um, when you're when you going through this, when you're looking at Burnsville, you're shocked, but you also have your wound open and you're reminded of all the times you were shocked before and you, you uh, are reminded of how you became numb to those things and you're be- going to become numb to this Burnsville thing. And uh, there's 18 line of duty deaths so far this year in the United States, which is too many for being February 19th, the day we record this. But I say this to to honor the police officer who was killed almost 10 years ago, because this is uh, written about him. But it speaks to a broader experience of 911 dispatchers dealing with that. And all I can do is, uh, that's what I bring to the table is the 911 dispatcher. Uh, reaction to the death of an officer. When an officer dies, dispatchers feel many things. Whether you worked it, you didn't work it, you knew him or her personally, or only as a co-worker, the grief is deep. This is the headline. These are the words a dispatcher never wants to hear, read, and especially live. But it happens. And it has happened since the beginning of law enforcement, and it will continue to happen in the future. It seems that no matter how much training, new safety equipment, or public relations outreach those in law enforcement conduct or get, there will be people who want to hurt them to avoid consequences of their own poor choices. When an officer is killed in the line of duty, it leaves a hole in the family, in the community, and in the police department. As a police telecommunications operator dispatcher, we feel these losses in so many ways. Each is personal in a variety of ways that is also communal. This is how a dispatcher feels when they know the officer. Even coming from a large metro police department, we dispatchers knew a lot of the officers we work with, not just professionally, but personally. We went on outings together, camping, graduation ceremonies, weddings, birthday parties. We sat around talking shop. We were a team. 
a unifying force with a conjoined mission. They kept citizens safe, and we kept them safe. We knew about their good times and their bad times. In many cases, we were their spouses, their siblings, their child, or their parent. When our co-worker, as well as a friend, spouse, brother, sister, son, daughter, father, or mother, dies at the hands of a criminal, it is so deeply personal. They took from us something that can never be replaced, and we cry. We are hollow. This is how a dispatcher feels when they work it. Hearing that haunting silence when you clear for an officer who is no longer there, or seeing that call flash across your screen when a citizen calls 911 and says, someone just shot your police officer, or when another officer clears on the radio screaming officer down, officer down, however it occurs, you switch into professional, detail-oriented, and calm mode. You work that call to the best of your ability, and when you are done, you almost collapse in the adrenaline dump. Then you hear, he didn't make it, or she died at the hospital, and you wonder, what could I have done differently? You question every move you made and second-guess all of your decisions, even though most of the time you couldn't have changed a thing. A horrible situation occurred, and you worked it into the best of your ability. Still, the doubt lingers and you hear things. All those conversations where people are trying to find a reason why and tearing apart what was done on the radio doesn't escape, escape this scrutiny. You hear yourself on the news. You feel responsible. It doesn't matter that you're not. You just do. The last words... You could have been spoken to you, and you, weren't, you were unable to change their fate. Here's how you feel if you didn't work it, which I think is important, because most folks are going to fall into this category. You hear the call being worked in the background, or you hear the call later as everyone debriefs or attends to training. You hear it on the news. You don't want to, but you often second-guess the other dispatcher. You wonder... If I would have worked it, the outcome would have been different. But deep down, you know that's not true. You're just looking for a way to change things. You wish you could have done something. You wish you could have been a part of the process, even though the outcome was not pleasant. You feel separated from the grieving of the dispatcher who worked it. You have your own grief as well. You feel, almost feel cheated out of the opportunity to have worked it, and you feel guilty for that. It's a tangled web of crazy feelings, all shrouded by grief. Losing an officer is a tragedy. You wonder why someone would choose to take away this man or this woman who was so much more than just the uniform that they wore. When they saw an occupation, you saw a family member, friend, and coworker. You saw summer nights around the barbecue. You saw smiles and tears. You saw someone who grew up and matured not only as an officer but a person. They saw just a badge. You saw a face, loving hands, and an honorable heart. When the announcement is made that he or she didn't make it and have joined the growing list of those engraved on that wall, you feel the blow. It takes your breath away. You circle the wagons. Hopefully. It's an indescribable brotherhood, sisterhood that dispatchers are deeply embedded in. Rest in peace, Detective Hobbs. And I'll add rest in peace to these officers and that firefighter paramedic. Ten years later, in the same war, same casualties, new casualties in the same war. Your memories are being shared around the communication center. We're consoling each other, and you will not be forgotten. Godspeed. It's very good. Um. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm processing it because to, to hear that, that perspective, you know, coming, coming from that dispatch, and it is something that 
at least on our fire side, because I mean, we deal with dispatch just, you know, getting the call, you know, getting any updates, whatever. We don't talk to them as much as the police officers do. You know, when you, when you're getting radio runs and you know, you're in your 10 or 12 or eight hour shift, you're talking to them a ton more than we are. And it is something that we do take for granted that that other person on the other, you know, on the other end of the microphone is trying to look out for us without being able to see us. Yeah. And it's just, it's taken, it's, I think it's taken for granted, at least, at least in our area. I'm sure too, that, uh, you know, when you're a firefighter paramedic and you lose someone in, in a case like this in Burnsville, police officer, same thing. There's a certain amount of uh, grief that is bonding, hopefully, but, uh, the dispatchers have their own grief and their separate grief. And, uh, you know, I've never been through this personally as a 911 dispatcher with a police officer in the field, but the grief also must be sort of alienating. Like my grief doesn't compare to their grief or I can't talk to someone about the grief that I'm in because really I'm going to, I'm going to communicate to a police officer about what I'm feeling. You know, we, we sometimes get into this trap of, uh, comparing each other and who's, who's got the bigger grief. And I think a lot of times it's, it's uh, prior restraint type things where like, I, I shouldn't talk about how I feel because how I feel is it doesn't compare to what other people are going through. Uh, this is just like any other critical incident. Unfortunately, I think everyone's got to get together and everyone's got to talk about it and everyone needs to debrief and everyone needs to have their say. Hopefully that's what's going to happen in Burnsville. I can't imagine what's something that's, uh, affecting, uh, you know, both departments, police and fire. I can't imagine that the dispatch will be left out of that. I can only hope that, uh, they get included, but in a broader context too, just, uh, just thinking about everybody there in Burnsville and situations like this literally happen every day in your community. I was at hostage negotiations training about two years ago. I went up to a city near me that was hosting the training and class had started at 8 a.m. And at 9.30, half, more than half the class disappeared because a man had taken his wife and two kids hostage in a house the same day as the first day of training. And uh, in the afternoon, because the situation went pretty similar to this, except we didn't lose anyone in the line of duty, they came back and debriefed the case they handled that morning in which a man and a wife were in a domestic. There were two kids in the house. Uh, the man shot his wife. Negotiations began. He ended up taking his own life. Firefighters, police officers eventually made entry after they heard the sounds of gunfire to find two little boys inside. And, uh, you know, I wasn't involved in this at all. This is just the story that I heard that day. But the firefighter carries out the little boy and he says, I need a new family for Christmas. Oh, my God. It goes on every day in our community and it doesn't always turn out this bad, but it happens all the time. And that's what police officers, firefighters and dispatchers are always dealing with. I'm a mess, Drew. Can you tell a joke or something? <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'll, well, first of all, I'll try to lighten it up, uh, John. Uh, I, actually, I was working on a screenplay where you were attending hostage negotiation and half the room had to leave to go negotiate, but they all jumped into a Tesla. And the Tesla ran out of battery. And not only did it run out of battery, it, it, it couldn't move. They couldn't get the doors unlocked. So they ran back into the training room and they're like, you 
come with me. <laughs> and they handed you a phone. And that was your first negotiation. You'd only had 15 minutes of training. <laughs> Not that particular case, obviously. It turned out pretty bad. But uh, We'll work on the ending of that one, John. Uh, well, secondly, it's, it's, me- it's ironic that you call that as a, a screenplay because if you're a negotiator, you have to be willing <laughs> to step into an absolute shit show and be like, believe in yourself that you could actually affect the outcome. <laughs> I, I definitely want to call this uh, episode Dewey uh, Grab the Tissue Box. Uh, but here's, here's what I'm going to tell you about, you know, you see these stupid memes and I engage in it all the time too. Like you never know where, uh, what somebody has been through or whatever. And I told you guys before we started this, like, you know, we talked about the Tennessee chick who I, I, I firmly believe like, look, there are a lot of lo- overweight people in law enforcement. There are a lot of overweight people sitting in, in communication centers. And, and I think, it's based in eating your feelings or, or chasing that, you know, the oxytocin or the, the, uh, the good feeling that good food brings you because that's all we deal with is trauma and tragedy. It seems like anyway, I mean, uh, I cannot remember the last time and, and Jason, maybe you can help me cause you're a little bit older than I am, but, uh, I can't remember the last time somebody called 911 to thank us or to <laughs> pay us a compliment. So um, I, I'll tell you, I came into this job with childhood trauma. That's my, that's my deal. Uh, but the, um, the thing is, uh, one of my last calls as a dispatcher, uh, you know, in talking about dealing with death, was uh, I was working as, I, I was sitting in, for a supervisor. I wasn't a supervisor. I was sitting in for a supervisor. I was just at the supervisor's desk, essentially. And it, it just had to do, you know, one story leads to, an, or, or one thing leads to another. And I, I sent uh, another jurisdiction's helicopter on a mission just by my, I'm not explaining it right. Uh, we weren't able to send our helicopter. Therefore, the agency that was looking for air support went to another agency, the Tampa police department. And that agency sent a helicopter out and that helicopter crashed and an officer died. Uh, he, he was a canine officer on light duty. He was, uh, working with aviation as a spotter and he didn't know how to swim and it, it went into the water and he, he died. So I attended his funeral his fu- and it was, it was especially hurtful for me because knowing that his wife was a dispatcher, like it, it, it kind of started with me. Like I, I still to this day have survivor guilt over that. So I can't, uh, I can't imagine what some people who hear that shots fired or tell my wife, I love her or whatever. I, I know your depths, but I can't imagine, you know, being directly involved like that. One of my first calls out on uh, out as a solo deputy sheriff was um, I responded to a house where a, a SIDS case, a, a, an infant had died. And at the same time, um, I had to break the news to the parents that the child died. Well, come to find out that was a miracle child because they had just adopted a kid because they couldn't get pregnant. And then a couple months later they got pregnant. And of course this was the child that died, the one that they got pregnant with. Then I had to break the news to them. And in the meantime, I was going through in vitro fertilization with my wife. We were 
in the same boat, essentially trying to have a kid. Uh, and I, I was definitely very short tempered and, and I could, I could hit all of the markers of a PTSD checklist, uh, and probably lived that way for many, many years. And, uh, I buried it in alcohol. Like, uh, I drank till I was blackout drunk. I've been sober for 15 years. So when you hear of the guy that's rolling away from the car because he feels like he's been shot and he starts taking shots at the car. Or you hear about the girl who's banged half of her department and you, you, you feel tempted to share memes about her. Uh, just think for a second that that could be based in, in some very deep-rooted trauma that they're, you know, she's, she's using sex to cover that up or, you know, some guys are using food to, to cover it up. Some guys are using adultery or alcohol or gambling or uh, the episode I did with street cop training was we all have our demons. So uh, just be real careful about what you say and, and what your judgments are because I can tell you, pal, uh, whoever you are listening to me right now, you ain't fucking perfect. Yeah. Fact. So uh, with that, grab your tissue box or put, you can put your tissue box away. It just uh, on a leadership tip, I always kept the tissue box under my desk. And it's not for the reason Jason thinks, but uh, just about, I, I cannot tell you how, um, how do I put this? I cannot tell you the connection you have when you hand someone a tissue box <laughs> because they see that you see. It's not like you, you're shielding your eyes from their emotion. Mm -hmm. It's that you're telling them here, here's something to help you get it out. And, um, empathetic and compassionate, yeah. empathetic and compassionate. And I, and I'm not saying that from a position of a high horse. I literally just kept a fucking tissue box in my office cause it was pretty easy to do. So, uh, John, you, you take the last word or, or give it to chief key for both of you, whatever. I, I appreciate that folks. Thanks for, uh, listening to this episode of the cop center. We're sorry if we brought you down, but I believe that grief is the stuff of life, that you can have no life without grief at all. If you go through life and you've never felt the way that some of us are feeling today about Burnsville or uh, whatever's going on in your life that you're trying to deal with, uh, that you've never been alive because uh, that's, uh, that's what life is, 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 is grief. And it's only meaningful because uh, we have things that are worth grieving about, whether it's our friends uh, in the law enforcement and firefighter community who are gone to us. It just means we had something to cherish and to be grateful for in the first place. So I think it's important to take take time to grieve for them. And that's how we honor them. I can do nothing about the police officers and the firefighter paramedic in Burnsville that are gone. I There's nothing I can do but, but grieve and to take time and to take an hour and 10 minutes of what I have and say that I'm sorry for what happened and that it affects me. And that can fall on nobody's ears, and that's okay. But that's all I can do to honor them is is express grief for my friends. And so I appreciate you listening to this, even if it's not like the thing that's gonna like uh, help you uh, on your workout or uh, you know help you enjoy your drive home today or however you're listening to this. But we appreciate you listening to the Comp Center and hearing the the other side of of life. If you want to be a part of the comm center, if you want to call in, if you have a story to share, if you have grief to share, if you want to unburden yourself, if you just want to put in your two cents, you can call us. 
Our phone number is 848-COM-911. That's 848-266-6911. You can call us and you can leave us a voicemail when we're not live. When we are live and we will be live again, that's how you can call us and be a part of the show. If you want to get a hold of us uh, on Instagram, you can do that at the Comp Center. That's our Instagram handle. If you just want to talk to Drew and help uh, talk him down off the ledge, you can reach him at What Say Drew. <laughs> If you want to talk if to I'm me, and, if you want to talk to me and tell me to dry up, you could do that at difficult to look at pictures. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, if you want to reach out to Kiefer and say, "Hey, what's going on, man?" or find out what's going on in his world, certainly Kiefer knows uh, about going through difficult times. Anybody who's a fan of his show and going on with his life knows what's going on over there. Reach out to Kiefer. You can do that at J Fust. What is it? Sixty nine forever or something. <laughs> Jakey twenty one. Jakey twenty one. Sorry, I got the number wrong. Jakey twenty one. You could follow us on YouTube. Hopefully, that's where you're already watching us. Make sure you hit like, subscribe, leave a little comment below that says how much you would love the episode. Or since outrage powers the internet, leave a little comment down below saying what uh, terrible hypocrites we are and how we're covering up for the lies of Sheriff Troyer and so many others. You could also follow us on Rumble. If you don't like having your brain exploited by the government, that's for now, that's the place where you go to do that. Thanks for following us on uh, Spotify. Make sure you leave a five-star rating. That helps us. Also on iTunes. I thought I forgot to do this, Drew. We were going to read uh, some of our reviews. Leave a, leave a five-star rating and review. I swear to God, I'm going to read it next time. Please leave a funny one or please leave an uplifting one so that next week when we open the show with these things, uh, that'll be something positive and uplifting. Thanks to Dewey, our producer. I feel bad because we were going to have him come on and talk about this past weekend in which he actually met Will Smith. It was an amazing story. <laughs> we will share that story next week. Thank you to Dewey for constantly uh, polishing our turds. We appreciate you, bud. Um, thank you, Drew, for being your authentic you. I can never, you know... I don't always agree with with you. Where like, what do you say? I love you, but fuck you, and things like that. <laughs> when you're just very passionate, I just respect <laughs> the fact that you are authentically you, and you're no longer uh, you're no longer bound. You're just your true, authentic self. And Keith, I appreciate you as always. Uh, you're my man. Thanks everybody for watching the Com Center. We hope we go on for a thousand years, long after we want episodes. to stop. A hundred episodes of the Com Center. Bert Blylevin for all time. Dick Randy Ver Moss, Dick Vermeil, Sammy Baugh. These are my guys. <laughs> I was sticking to Minnesota people. Well, Fran Tarkenton. Fran Tarkenton. Thanks for having me, fellas. Yeah, thanks, Keith. <laughs> thanks, Keith. <laughs>